bet you can sing. No, I, can't. I, I can't. You can't? I don't care. I'm, I'm so off-key. I'm like, I always feel bad when someone's standing next to me because I'm like, I'm singing, but I'm all over the place. No, you, sounded, you sounded great today. Yeah. I, I feel like you... Anyway, I feel like most pastors can sing. I'm not one of them, but I yeah. feel like they can. I just have too many. I'm like, you kind of can sing, but yeah, no. that's not... Anyway. Uh, all right, friends. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have the beautiful voice, Steve Carter, back on the podcast. Man, it's good to be back. This is my third time since last August. I feel like we need to make that even more frequent. It's not enough. Man. I feel like... Three times a year, great. Next year, we're going to do once a quarter. We're once a quarter. Four, okay. four, in, in. <laughs> here, yeah. One of the things I like about you is that I feel like I can always connect sports and theology and church together. I feel like you do even better than I do. Well, well, I mean, you are a Cowboys fan, so, <laughs> so there's, there's a few things you don't can't. It's hard to connect when you that, don't I mean, seem to show up in the playoffs. That hurts for uh, a Michigan fan to oh, say that to me. That's true. That's yeah. true. That's true. I mean, as long as Appalachian State doesn't show up for this podcast, you're oh, going to be great. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, <laughs> it was fun. nice knowing you. We'll see you later. <laughs> we'll see you later. We'll see you later. Okay, let me tell you a story. So, um... This is the uh, third guest speaker okay. uh, in a row that's come to Westover, and I made him do a podcast. And I'm super excited you're here. And I want to tell a story that I was coming back from vacation, and I'm in the car with my wife, kids, and have a conversation with you. And I usually, like, I don't do a ton of conversations with the wife and the kids in the car, but you and I have been playing phone tag. Like, I think I ignored you for like a week while I was on vacation. So it's not really phone tag. It's me just being a bad friend. But... We're coming back, and you have this litany of questions in which you're asking about our church. Like, what do you guys do? How do people refer to each other? What is, like, what do I need to know? Like, what's a good, what's a, what's a good uh, sermon? What's a good guest speaking? Like, all these things. And I hang up the phone, and my wife's like, whoever that is, you need to be more like him. <laughs> whoever that is, you need to be more like him. That's high praise right there. I like that. I like yeah, that. Yeah, but, like, you, you know what you're doing. Like, you, you, you step in to a church, and what people will hear the rest of the sermon— uh, or the sermon after the, the first half of this conversation, but y- you intentionally like try to figure out part of the culture of the church, even if you're only going to be there for one morning. But it's like y- you've done this before. Why do you think that's so important to do? Well, I don't. I I feel a little bit of anxiety if I feel like I'm a guest. Okay. So I also want to know: Am I going to be helpful? Um, I might I might not be the most helpful person if there's parts of traditions or pieces that I'm like, oh, that's, that's, that's going to be a stretch for me. I I think in this situation, obviously think the world of you and, um, I listen, you know, regularly to your podcast, but also to you whenever you preach, I, I, I just, I want to be able to walk in and feel like I don't just have a connection with you, Mm -hmm. but I have a connection with your people because you matter to me. And if you matter to me, then your people matter to me. And I don't want to do something that um, is going to be ill-advised or not thought through that would, I don't know, like hurt you yeah. or um, not come across as my my hope and desire is to to love people well and to serve your community well. Yeah. So, um, and there's been, I think, moments where I've, I've watched, um, like one of the questions I ask is, hey, is there anything that's like happened in your church that if I would have just brought up unintentionally, it, it would trigger uh, a whole bunch of people to take them out of a moment. And at Manhattan Christian college in, in Kansas, they had this chapel. I think they bought, built a new one, but before they had this pole 
right in the middle. It was like a one of those load-bearing yeah. poles right, right in the middle. Yeah. And I just, I don't know, I just remember walking in and going, getting a teacher, and I was like, hey, is there anything I, I every, you know, preacher who speaks at chapel says? And then just all the students were like, just don't mention the poll. Everyone mentions the poll. And I was like, okay, great. I'm not going to mention the poll. And it was just such a helpful thing yeah, because yeah. You, you can see some preachers just trying to be funny and everybody rolls their eyes. Or <laughs> one time I was- Which is so real. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, you know, and so it's just trying to figure out what's that thing that's not going to take people off my bigger point, which is trying to connect them to the text and the story of God. Yeah. Do you feel like attacking my jawline and opening me up to ridicule uh, was helpful? And do you feel like the consequence of now people make fun of me after church, which has never happened until you got here? Well, I mean, everybody who listens to the podcast has seen a picture and they can they can understand my comment about how you how do you have such a great jawline? <laughs> Like what, what is that? Is that the jujitsu? It's like, is there like muscle? Like what, what do you do to get a jawline that <laughs> is nice. that defined? Well, what it is, is like, I don't have the ability to really grow facial hair. Uh, and so it's kind of balances out. Yeah. Like you, you can, you can have one or the other, but I added, I added how you're like the filet mignon, <laughs> like tri-tip, like you're like very lean, good jaw. And then I'm more like the, the marbly uh, ribeye, you know? It's got better flavor, which you definitely, <laughs> you definitely have better flavor than me. You know what you're, you're talking uh, about more now. Do you remember like the first time you and I connected online? Because I do, and I, I, I shouldn't just put you on the spot with this, but you you referenced something on your podcast that it was your um, the your sports podcast, not uh, Craft and Character podcast, which many of my listeners oh, know, but it's Home Team. Yes. Do you remember what it was? I don't remember. It was a tweet. It was a quote that you had said, yeah. and I I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I'd been following you, like, and, and knew of you. Um, it was something about, like, people uh, – I see a lot of people leave their church because it doesn't match their politics, but you don't see people leave their political party because it doesn't match their church. Yes. And so you referenced that, and I was, and then so I looked online. It's like, oh, Steve Carter, Instagram. Oh, yeah. wow, I'm feeling pretty – because I had followed you for a couple of years yeah. on Twitter. Now, I'm not a huge Twitter guy, so, like, I'm not, like – super active over there yeah but i knew about you yeah before that and so i'm glad that my one tweet got me connected to you if twitter did anything good it connected us I, through that 100 percent. well it was funny is when you asked that question we both have lost a uh, parent yeah and that was the that was i think the second piece of connection yeah, yeah, was yeah. with my dad and your mom and i so that's where my mind went for a second i was like was it that and but because but, the passing's Right around the same time. Right around the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And so just in that level of connection, I was like, oh, yeah. So, yeah. No, but that that line still, Mm -hmm. bro, is genius. It's funny because I see other people tweeting that. And, like, I I tweeted that, like, a long time ago. And it's, like, the same semantics and everything. I'm like, dude, just – Yeah. I mean, I've done that in sermons so many times (laughs) that, like, I can't judge anyone. But uh, one of the first times I heard your name, and I don't know if we – I feel like we might have talked about this, but – it was I was on a group text with Merritt, Jay, and Annie Downs, who was speaking in Chicago when like your like when you stepped down, yeah, from Willow, yeah. wasn't it that Sunday? It was that Sunday, that Sunday, yes. Uh, so I was doing an interview with Ira, Ira Glass, Glass. Yep. Uh, This American Life. Uh, so we did that Saturday night, and then Annie gets up and teaches um, on being brave. Yep. And her whole message basically, is, brave. Yeah, yeah. yeah, do the harder right. 
So I'm like, that's it was such a killer night. It was just amazing, so great. And then the next morning, uh, a new story comes out at like 5 a.m. in the New York Times um, about you know my mentor, and I have Annie's teach in the back of my mind, uh-huh. being brave. I have the fact that Ira Glass isn't a believer. And he's going to be watching this. I have the fact that there's all these different competing emotions. Um, and so I went in to work that day and a um, number of things happened. But I I told Annie, I'm so sorry. I can't <laughs> go on stage. Um, I, I'm so sorry to bail on you like this. I felt terrible. We, we've been able to process through that. She was amazing. Of course. She's just, I mean, salt of the earth. I'm a big fan of her. Yeah. But she, but. It was That's not what the text thread was saying. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Annie's got yeah. nothing but love for you. Yeah, no, she's great. She's I bet great. she'll whenever we post a picture on Instagram, she'll post something like, Oh, these are two of the best. that was my Annie voice, by the way. <laughs> two of my favorites or something like that. Or anyway, she's Wait. got nothing but love for you. Oh, but here's but, a, here's, a, here's another Annie F. Downs connection. So when we did our first podcast together, uh you wore a Michigan jersey. Yes. And and Annie lives in Nashville, so uh, Vandy is there. Yeah. Vandy played Michigan in the College World Series, and we made a bet. And so when I went to do a podcast live in Nashville with her, I had lost because Michigan lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I wore a whole Vandy head-to-toe oh. baseball outfit because then I was like, Luke just did this for the podcast. The podcast. This is great. So I'm like, this is, this is going to – this has some like a tip of the hat to Luke and yeah. I, I had you to were pay up. more committed, more committed. I was more I committed. Was. Yeah, I had to wear. You were in person. I was in my office. I had a shirt kind of yeah. over it. I wasn't just going to go like yeah, random walk walk around downtown Nashville, like <laughs> like a like a like I'm starting pitcher for the Vanderbilt. Or like you walk into a church and like, hey, let me go see the pastor and he's wearing like a basketball jersey. <laughs> like what's wrong with this Fab guy? Five reference? We're yeah, done. we do love the Fab Five. But um, so the Annie, like you here, she's a guest teacher. Yeah, at Willow, and something that said like sticks with you and it's weird because like when you're a preacher it's easy to like go to church and like hey let's talk about like the specific moves and what you're trying to accomplish and your mm-hmm. points and how you use your stories and how you like the syntax in your sentence and the way you phrase things and all that but at the end of the day most of us got into preaching because preaching has impacted us yeah and like the words that happened in sermons didn't just say words but they like altered the direction of our life and like this morning you, you did a word about hope and like, what specific area in your life do you need hope in? And I'm sitting there going, dang it, Steve got me again. Mm. Like, that is a word that I needed to hear. And I think many of us, like, and, and they're going to hear the rest of the sermons. I don't want to get too deep into the like specifics on the sermon. But the idea of hope, it seems like a lot of us have, have lost hope. And for some of us, you have like this idea, okay, I believe in the resurrection at the end of, like, in the same way, like the, the John 9 story with Lazarus. Is that John 9? Is it 11 or 9? One of those two. You know which one it is. I was, I, I was going to say 11, but I don't know. I think it's 11. Yeah. It's 11. But where she says, yeah, I know that there will be the resurrection at the end. And Jesus, no, no, no. I am the resurrection. Yes. Where it's like, it, it's available here right now. Do you think more of us are like cynical and have given up on the idea of hope? Or do you think more people have this idea of, oh, everything's just going to work out. And we're going to be fine. Yeah, that's gr- that's a great question. I, I, I think that depending on the circumstance... I think we we vacillate. I think that there's some people who have just like I I think this is as good as it gets. Yeah. And then I think that some people are like I don't know how that's going to get better, but I I do think it's going to get better somehow in the end. I don't know. And it's just it just kind of almost like don't make me have to think about it. And but I do think I think a lot of people are walking around 
not with a helpful hermeneutic of what hope actually is and means for them. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I think a lot of what we're holding on to isn't what we're offered. Yeah. Like we're not holding on to that. And so you do this really cool, uh, prayer exercise practice at the end of your teaching and they're not gonna be able to like obviously see it in the audio of this but you have people open their hands up to receive and then you had people clench the fist yeah can you explain why you think those like those postures with the hands are so meaningful or powerful yeah so i'm i'm someone who's trying to get in my body more i i think i um I think I'm trying to recognize that there is something powerful in the incarnation. There's something powerful to recognize, man, you know, if you're, how your body keeps score, uh, where we feel frustrated, where we feel tense, like just becoming more attuned mm-hmm. to that. And one of those, those postures sometimes is, is me just opening my hands and recognizing what is before me and mm-hmm. what am I holding on to? And so at the end, just inviting people to, to kind of name, where do you need hope today? Like, mm-hmm not just ethereal, but like name something specific. Is it your marriage? Is it, and and just hold that, just hold that before God, hold that and then desire something good. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to desire Christ to be at the center of that? I, I, and then just to really know anything is possible. And then there's a moment for me of, I can hold on to the wrong things. I, you know, I'm really, really good at, remembering the things I ought to forget and forgetting the things I ought to remember. Mm-hmm. And so I had them close their hands and clench their fists as a, as a sign to say, Hey, we are Easter people. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we are people of the resurrection. Let's cling to that certainty and close your hands and hold on to that. And because of that truth, anything's possible. Yeah. Anything's possible. So that was kind of that, that act of hopefully for some people they could not just feel overwhelmed by a situation that they might feel like there is no hope, but recognize now they're clinging on to something that is much more firm than I think sometimes I know for myself, I don't always give credence and credit to. Yeah. I think a lot of us hold on to things that we shouldn't hold on to. Yeah. And there are things that I, like I still have in the back of my head that were said or that happened years ago. And I, I know you've told a story about a, a uh, like a, very important high school basketball game where you had the game winning shot. You had a great stat line and you yeah. passed the ball instead of taking the, sh- taking the shot. Like it, it stayed with you. Like th- with that's, that story stayed with you. And so there's like these exercises that help us kind of like acknowledge that and step into holding different things yep. because y- you just said like it, sometimes you find yourself struggling to get into your body. I bet there are other people who do that, but have never used that language. How would you describe what that is? To yeah. not be in your body. Yeah. So I, I think um, f- I think for some of it, it's with body shame. Some of it is um, we're, we're trying to escape here, get to there, you know, like it's just bad theology in a lot of yeah. ways. But I, I think for, for, for many people, it's um, almost like I don't even know how to name my desires. I hmm. don't know how to – I don't know how to like – talk about what's really happening. I'm just trying to like stuff and avoid and escape and – you know, there's this great prayer um, that Thomas Keaton um, and Mary Morjorowski kind of like worked mm-hmm. and called the welcome prayer. And it, and it's it's almost welcoming all those emotions, welcoming all that is within you. Well, mm-hmm. um, just just allowing yourself to be aware of it and recognizing that God's going to use everything he can to make you whole and holy. Mm-hmm. And And I think that's just been part of it for me where... I didn't know how to access that part. 
Yeah. You know, I felt like I should stop. I shouldn't be thinking these thoughts. All right. I should not be resentful or I shouldn't be. And it was just, well, you have a book called this befriend your monsters. You know, how to not just shame on that or be anxious on that, but how to befriend it and be aware of it and get to really what's underneath that. And then really allow grace and goodness and Christ into that. And now those practices slow me down. Hmm. because I'm constantly looking. What's the next thing? What's the next win? What's the next yeah. goal? What's the next What's the next piece? It just slows me down to go, what, what really is going on? What's really stirring? What's, what is that longing? Okay. Uh, so can you, can you walk us through a practice? Uh, like coach me up and let, let's say, give me a desire that you think a lot of people have that they don't want to talk about or a desire that they feel like, oh, I, I just got to shut that off or I don't want to, like have yeah. that give me one okay so um okay proverbs 423 uh, yeah i have it memorized but some of my listeners don't. <laughs> <laughs> um uh the most important thing guard your heart above okay. all else guard your heart okay. everything flows from it okay okay so so guard hits me because it's a basketball term you know defend mm-hmm. you guard your heart in Jewish concept term as well. Oh yeah, that's right. It's, it's a role. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, heart is where desire motivation comes from. Okay. And the idea flows out of a tosta. It's, 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 it's what birth for. Mm-hmm. So I have this practice that I do typically Sunday nights, Monday mornings, one of those two where I will play it back. And, and if everything flows from it, my heart, Play it back. Play it back. I'll look back at the last 168 hours and go, was there a place that I didn't guard my heart? I just, I, and what came out of it, Hmm. um, wasn't, wasn't great. Like it just, whether it was a bitterness or whether it was frustration. And I just, I just, I just look back and I don't, I don't, again, I don't shame it. I just become aware of it. Well, then I know that I probably am going to go through a similar situation in the coming week or weeks. So I go from playing it back. And again, it hits me like on the basketball side of watching game tape. Now I'm going to play it out. I'm going to look ahead and and I'm going to put myself in that same situation. What could I do different? What could I do different? Oh, that's a great. And I just imagine like Christ beside me as, you know, coach K Popovich, you know, Steve Kerr kind of voice just saying, I trust you as a follower me. How would you do that differently? And I would ask for clarity or I would walk away or I would be more in tune with what I wanted to really say. Wow. And, and I just, I just journal about that or I speak that out loud when I, on a, on a walk. So I play back, I play it out. Second thing is, or third thing is that, um, I play it smart. If everything's going to flow to your heart, I look at my schedule and I go, am I actually depositing into my heart? Cause mm. my desire is that stuff that flows out is actually going to be gentle and kind and good. Um, but am I actually creating enough space where goodness can be poured into my mm-hmm. heart? So, uh, where am I going to do that? Where, where, you know, go to see a Cubs game. That's good for my heart. <laughs> you know, like, uh, what, what, what's going to be fun. That's going to lift me up. And then the last one is I don't just play it back. I don't just play it out. I don't just play it, uh, smart. I play it honest. And I think too many of us, when we think about our heart, we, I am good. I'm fine. Yeah. Um, but so like, really, yeah. yeah. And that's one of the things I so appreciate with you. It's like, even the story we mentioned about Jalen Rose, like, I think that was like three minutes into the podcast interview, our first like actual yeah. connect, but you had said something that made me feel so safe. And I'm like, well, I gotta play it honest. And I shared, and I typically wouldn't do that, you know, but 
part of it is my desire is to show up honest and human. And if I'm going to do that, then someone's going to ask, how do I, how do I do that without mm-hmm. hedging or trying to manage my image, which yeah. a three totally can do too Very often. Well. Yeah. yeah. You have easy ability to do that. Okay. So go for a walk Sunday night, Monday morning. Yeah. Playback. Basically going through game tape yeah. and asking yourself, all right, how did I play that? Yeah. Was it right? And then you go, go play forward. Yeah. And so if Jesus is there, how would he coach me up on that? Yeah. Which I love that idea. And then play it smart. Smart. And so you're looking at schedule. Scheduling. What am I doing to invest into my heart? Yeah. And then play it honest. Yeah. I like that. So it's just, it, for me, I'm constantly looking. Um, you know, I say this in the teach that uh, when I teach in Chicago, I got a guy who sits in the front row and he always says, make it plain, doc, make it plain. And it, I love that. I love that because it's like, how do I not just take these ideas, but how do I actually like, put them in ways that I can embody not always well, mm-hmm. but I can at least put them into practice that can really help me sh- be shaped and formed uh, more into the image of Christ. Some of us have grown up in an environment where we had a lot of criticism because there's always like, Hey, you need to do better. You need to do more. When I was a baby preacher, I was driving out to baby my preacher little ba- little country <laughs> church if you look over there there's a picture of my wife and i in a black and white picture in yes. front of this old church of christ in a small town called moran and after church i had two guys that i would go out there with and both of them left to get phds one went to smu the other one went to harvard and so they're like very smart gentlemen i was clearly the dumbest one in the car for some reason i was preaching and we would criticize each other in the form of like oh this is positive con- constructive criticism but it's just criticism and it just like, hey, you didn't do this and you could have done this. And we're kids. They're nothing against those guys at all. I was doing the exact same thing. No judgment on them. But we're used to someone saying, hey, you didn't do a good job here. So I'm going to look at the game tape and it's all going to be negative. It's all going to be bad. And sometimes that can create this like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do these practices. I don't want to yeah. hear someone tell me what I did wrong. Is there a way to be careful to not let playing it back to be just like this loop of constant criticism? Yeah. Well, I always do it under the guise of no shame. You know, be kind to yourself. Like it's it's it's, it's all learning. It's all that becoming more aware. Um, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's it's more though because I can constantly look at something through the negative mm-hmm. or through making an excuse. Like, mm-hmm. well, I acted that way because of this. No, no, no. It's still my responsibility for how I choose to respond. So for me, it's just like there's no shade. There's no shame. Hmm. Let's just. Th- what's great about game tape though is it doesn't lie. Yeah. When you can look back and go, okay, yeah, I did miss that pass or I did not run the right play or, and, and I think deep down, um, I, re- I have to remind myself, Hey, the reason I'm trying to do this is so that what flows out of my heart is actually something that is healthy and whole. Yeah. And of course you haven't arrived. You're far from it. Yeah. Like that, like, so be kind to yourself. Like you've got many more years just to grow, but I do know from an athlete if I don't work on those parts of my game, they're not going to get better. They're not going to get better. No. So it's, it's, it's walking that, that line, that tension. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to do it well. Some days I do it better than others. Oh, it's good. That's a great practice. And the tape doesn't lie. Unfortunately, our memory is not always accurate. That's right. What are the things, uh, my wife and I are like, we can talk about what transpired five minutes before and have radically different opinions on what took place. And I was like, I've got a great memory. That's kind of my thing. So I'm right. She's like, no, you might have a great memory with this, but you're wrong about this. And I've gotten to the point where like, I want to set up a camera in our house just so we can see who was right. Cause we're never like, we're both very strong willed people who are not going to like 
give up a position <laughs> for no reason. Uh, obviously, out of love, we forgive, of course. But um, some of us, like, we look at our game tape and, and all yeah. is just wrong. You do this wrong. You do this, yeah. this wrong. And, I, like, I hate listening to my voice hmm. on, like, sermons and stuff. If I go back and, like, oh, no, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Especially, like, watching. Oh, uh-uh. yeah. And so some of us are just, like, really critical of that. And I think there's the work that you've done to go, no shame. Like, yeah. we don't have to shame. Like, that's not the world we're playing in. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and the other piece to it is, you're right. We can, we can not, I don't know how to say it, like, see it accurately. You know, I, I think sometimes even in conversations, I can look and have such high expectations yeah. that are, like, unrealistic to ever be met. Yeah. And then I get let down. And so part of it isn't even the game tape of, oh my goodness, like you did this wrong. It was more, you came in not open to being present in the moment, but with a litany of expectations that you put on somebody else. And you're like, oh, and so I have this moment where like, uh, you know, you said baby preacher, but I'm like, there's a moment where I'm like, ah oh, man, I almost see this, this part of me. There are parts of me, parts of my story that I'm like a 58 year old. And there's parts of me that I'm seven. Yeah. And and there's like little Steve, like just like ah oh man, like that's you're be kind of like that part of you and and his development. Don't shame that. I wouldn't I wouldn't look at my nine year old daughter and be like, what the heck? You don't know how to balance a checkbook? What's going on? You know what I mean? You haven't you haven't you haven't done like some Ramsey class? Like what's wrong with you? You know? Like no, like she's nine. Yeah. And so there's parts of us that I think we have to look with tenderness, with mm. care, and you know, as one writer calls fierce compassion. And yeah. that's what I try to do. Fierce compassion. Oh, that's a good word. That's a good word. Uh, okay, we're going to uh, play the for the rest of the podcast. It's going to be your sermon. Boo. <laughs> fierce compassion even for the sermon. Yeah, it yeah. was great. Uh, I, it was an honor uh, to get to hear this. I'm thankful for you serving our church this way. You did such a great job. And uh, for my listeners, if you haven't got a copy of The Thing Beneath the Thing, then uh, you go, go fix that. Go ameliorate that problem. Take a lot of shame on yourself for not buying it. <laughs> and the only way to get rid of that shame is to buy his book. So please do that. Uh, Steve, uh, much love, man. Thanks for doing this. And uh, yeah, right on. Grateful for you. Thanks, right. bro. Uh, this morning, we have a, a treat for you. We have uh, one less last guest speaker, and we save the best for last. Uh, I'm going to go invite my friend Steve Carter to join me on stage. Uh, Steve comes to us from Chicago. Uh, Steve used to be the senior teaching pastor at the Willow Creek Community Church uh, for the last two years. Is that right? Two, three, three, four, whatever. You've been in Phoenix, but now you're migrating back to Chicago. Uh, You're there now. Yep. I mean, you're here right now. Yep. But this is your first time in Austin. First time ever in Austin. In Austin. So we are very glad (laughs) that you are here. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. We're not going to clap for you serving the church. We're not going to clap for you being a preacher. We're going to clap for you coming to Austin, Texas. I, I, <laughs> that is the Austin difference. Uh, Steve wrote a great book. It's called The Thing Beneath the Thing. It came out a while ago. Uh, go and get a copy. You've heard me rip off a lot of stories from it, so you don't really need to read it anymore because I've already <laughs> stolen all the good stuff. But uh, I encourage you to get a copy of that. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for being with you. I'm being with us. I'm so excited for you all to get to meet my friend Steve. Uh, he is just a gifted uh, teacher and preacher, but more than that, he is a gifted and committed follower of Jesus. And so I'm excited for y'all to meet my friend Steve. So let me pray for you and then turn it over to you. Uh, God, I thank you for Steve. I thank you for the gifting that you have uh, poured into his life. We thank you for the way that he loves you and that he follows Jesus and that he wants us to know the good news of Jesus. And uh, we just thank you for his willingness to be with us this weekend. And I pray that you pour through him the gift of preaching so that what we would hear this morning 
is a word from you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, man. Isn't he amazing? You have an amazing pastor. I, I'll just tell you, um, Luke is one of the most thoughtful leaders I know. Um, the questions he asks, the curiosity, uh, the way that he can open up this Bible, and whether it's the Sermon on the Mount, mix stories and depth, and make you just cry at some story that he tells, or laugh, or just walk away going, man, there, there's an entirely new world out there. Um, and let's just be really, really honest, he has the best jawline of any pastor I've ever seen. <laughs> Bro, how, do, how does that happen? Like, you, you're like a filet mignon. I'm like a ribeye where there's like a lot of marble still on the, on the bone, you know? So it's, it's good, man. It's good. Um, I love the Church of Christ. Um, I grew up in Southern California. Um, my grandfather uh, worked at Pepperdine, basically ran the campus there. And every once in a while, you'd walk on this campus. It's a Church of Christ school. Um, and and I, you would hear the sound of just the acapella, the singers. And I walked in at like 1031, and that first song, it, like, it took me back to walking by the chapel in Pepperdine and just hearing there's something so beautiful about the Church of Christ tradition. It is an honor for me to be here. Um, I've, I've never been to Austin. Um, I actually flew into Dallas last night. I drove to Waco. Um, that was fun. And then um, I got up early and I'm driving here. And I, I'm like excited. I'm thinking about just my message. I'm praying. And then I pass this exit and there's this weird word. Lugerville, with a P to the F to the L to the U-G, and I'm like, why do I know that? And then it hits me, Friday Night Lights. This is the Pflugerville Panthers is where the Dillon Panthers played. So what do I do? I pull over. I walk right onto that football field, and I take a picture, send it to my wife, send it to Luke, show up here three minutes late, but it was worth it. Uh, I'm excited to experience everything about Austin. People have been sending me recommendations. Uh, they're like, check out uh, Chewy's. You got to check out a ton of things. I know you'll probably have some recommendations, uh, but I'm really, really excited. Truth be told, one of my best friends, Sam Acho, um, played football here at the University of Texas. This week, he was actually inducted into the Hall of Honor for Texas football. Um, and we actually do a podcast together. Um, it's called The Home Team. Um, that's me. Uh, that's Sam Ocho, uh, UT. And then this is Trey Burton, uh, who's the University of Florida. And basically, it's 45 minutes of us talking trash about each other's school. I'm a big Michigan fan, don't hold that against me. Um, Sam's always representing Texas, and then poor Trey's in a little bit of a tough time with Florida. And so we get together, and, and I told Sam, I said, hey man, I'm, I'm coming out to Austin. And he's like, where? And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go speak at this church, Westover Hills. And he's like, that's Colt McCoy's church. And I was like, well, how do you, how, really? He's the backup quarterback for the Cardinals now. He's like, no, 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 but that's where, that's where he used to go. He's like, I think I went there once with him. And he, Sam was, was uh, a, a player there, uh, obviously during the time of Colt. And I was like, well, what, what's like so moving to you about Colt? And he just said flat out, character. Character. And, and I, it takes me back to Elisa Salter's interview after he 
you all lost uh, in the national championship game, sorry. But I will say it was one of the greatest interviews I've ever seen. And I, I know you probably can quote it, but what the last thing that he says to Lisa Salter is, I stand on the rock. Like, you've worked your tail off to get to one place, and what you expected was far from reality. And that, in front of the world, with a camera on you, you can declare, I stand on the rock, capital R. And then Sam says, it was in the locker room. He's like, I'm not gonna tell you what he said, but what he said lifted everyone's spirits. And I was like, man, that's, that's the kind of man I wanna be. I'm sure that's the kind of mom, dad, leader, young person that you want to be, someone who can actually have some kind of grit, some sense of steadfastness, some sense of fortitude, something that can hold up in ever-changing days and times. So today, that's what I want to go after. Uh, There's a story, though. In 1927, it it was uh, off the coast of Providence Town, Massachusetts. There was a submarine. A submarine was coming back to shore It was nine fathoms deep and it was rising, getting up towards the shore as it was coming in. And while this submarine was coming in, a Coast Guard boat was going out. And the Coast Guard boat didn't have on its mind to be thinking what's underneath us. It just found itself heading to sea when something tragic happened. This Coast Guard ship hit this U.S. submarine and hit it hard. And you can imagine being the captain of this massive vessel going, did we just, what did we just hit? Probably fear of the Titanic, just like for scaring people, like what are you gonna do, what's gonna happen? And this Coast Guard goes, what, what do we hit, what do we hit? And they're like, well, we think you hit a submarine. So all of a sudden in the Coast Guard, these divers put on suits and they dive down. Now 17 fathoms deep is the submarine. And these divers get up there, and the waves and the wind, it's, it's, it's difficult currents. They get up to this submarine, and many of the 41 that, are, that were on that submarine died instantly. Six of them put themselves, locked themselves in one room in the submarine, and there's those little windows that you can look out, and they take metal when they see the divers outside, and they start banging on this metal and steel of the submarine. One of the divers gets close enough and he begins to recognize, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, they're actually doing Morse code. And inside you, this, this hole, this, this, these submarine uh, men are just banging and the first thing that they, they write is I, S, space, T, H, I, S, space, A, N, Y, space, H, O, P, E. Is there any hope? And these divers are sitting there trying to understand and this this one diver reflects on hearing in Morse code the sheer panic and worry and wonderment. Is there any hope? I haven't been able to get this question out of my mind. 
Because I find myself walking up and seeing sincere Christ followers, seeing people who are far from God, getting on Twitter, or if you want to know where real crazy lives, it's called the Next Door app. And you're just, you find yourself wondering, is there any hope? Is there any hope? Here's my question for you today. Where do you need hope? Where do you need hope? Is it with a relationship? Is it some emotional lie that just keeps on loop and plays over and over and somehow holds your life in check? Maybe it's with a job. Maybe it's with a coworker. Maybe it's with a spouse. Maybe it's with a child. Maybe it's with your own body. You just feel like, man, I can't, I can't, I can't seem to get healthy. Maybe there's a sickness, an addiction, a struggle. Maybe it's with money, finances. Maybe it's in your spirituality and faith and journey. You feel you're at a plateau. But I want you, where you are seated or watching online, I want you to ask yourself today, where do you need hope? Where do you need hope? Right here and right now. What's fascinating is you heard a passage, and we'll get to it in a moment, from the book of Romans. And Rome was an amazing culture. They had this phrase, Pax Romana. It was for the peace and the security of Rome. And Rome had an entire system at which they developed and trained the youth to have a certain outlook and perspective on life, on how to live. And one of the primary things that they would teach kids was to not have hope was to not have hope. They would teach their kids, all you have is reason and reality. They would tell their kids, suffering's gonna come, difficulty's gonna come, oppression and adversity is going to come. You have to be able to ask yourself, how will you respond? But what they never wanted for their people and for their use was to have hope. They wanted them to have all the trust in the Caesar, all the trust in Rome, all the trust in the power of Pax Romana, but they did not want any child to ever imagine a world could be different. So this is what they taught. And you can go back and read and study this, and even in grammar school, these kids would have like a journal, and they would begin to write out, and they'd have to almost... Think about all of the worst things that could happen and they'd have to ask themselves, how will I respond without hope? And if there was a moment where they kind of oozed out a little bit of hope, the teacher would say, no, 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 no hope. Hope is pointless. Hope is meaningless. Hope will keep you living out here instead of facing reality. We are people of no hope. Do you have any of those people in your life? This is as good as it gets. Do you have any of that in you? This is, this is the, as good as it gets. This is as good as my marriage is going to get. This is as good as it's going to get with my faith. This is as good as the, this is the University of Texas football is going to get. You know what I mean? Like, is this as good as it's going to get? And then you get Arch Manning. And you're like, this thing's going to change. And all of a sudden, hope comes rushing in. But do you ever have these moments? Is this going to get any better? And the truth is, I think many of us have been discipled in the way of Rome more than we'd like to admit. Because Rome 
Rome proclaims hope is meaningless. And we might sing about it, we might read a verse about it here or there, but really, when we look at the situations of our life, the relationships, the people who frustrate us, the things about us that we don't like, for many of us, we don't apply biblical hope to that, we apply the way of Rome. And we're just like, ah, it's, it's all it can be. It's all it can be. But then there's something else that's a little bit different. It's the way that we use hope in everyday conversations. The way that we talk about hope. There's almost this cultural whimsy when it comes to hope. And I'm not trying to mock it. I'm just trying to say I've begun to see that underneath the word hope, we're not actually proclaiming that hope is meaningless. We're proclaiming something else. I mean, just listen to it. Listen to the way that people reference and use the word hope. They say things like this. I hope, I hope that all of the kids will be here for the holidays. I hope, I hope that there's no traffic on the way to the airport so that we can make our flight. I hope that Steve Sarkeesian is as good as we think he can be and lead Texas to the promised land. I hope. And underneath every time we use this word hope, what are we preaching? Uncertainty. Uncertainty. See, Rome proclaims hope is meaningless and our culture declares hope is uncertainty. So there's some of us who are like, man, I live like Rome when it comes to this relationship with this person who's wounded me. I have no hope that it can be reconciled or I have no hope that I can actually get... My life, my, my spiritual life in check. I have no hope that I can beat this addiction. I have no hope of a relationship in return with my kids. I have no hope. I'm gone the way with Rome. And then there's another group of people who are like, I, I hope. I hope. I, I hope that my life can be better. I hope that this relationship can be reconciled. I hope, but all it is is preaching a desire mixed with uncertainty. And friends, this is why this book is so important. This is why when you were six years old and you would show up to a synagogue for the very first time to study this book, a rabbi would tell you as a little kid to put out your hand. And the rabbi would dump honey all over your hand. And you, you got to imagine you're a little Jewish kid and all you've ever eaten was fish and bread and grapes and olives. And all of a sudden, this rabbi has covered your hand with honey. And you look at your mom and you look at your dad and you're like, and they, they like nod their head, you can taste it. And all of a sudden you taste it. And the rabbi goes, my son, what does it taste like? My daughter, what does it taste like? And the child just says, it's sweet. It's sweet. It's like Skittles before Skittles were bad. But it was like Skittles. And, and, and the rabbi said, that is exactly what the scriptures are like. Sweet like honey. To add flavor and life and help you be able to see how to walk in step and in tune with God. What I want to do is I want to reread Romans chapter 5, and then I want to spend some time trying to break down this one simple question, what is 
biblical hope. I do not want you to go the way of Rome. I do not want you to go the way of cultural whimsy when it comes to hope. I want us to leave this place understanding how to live under the authority of biblical hope and how it will transform every relationship. It will transform your outlook, your perspective on how you see yourself, how you see each other, how you see this grand story God is writing, and how you see our call as Easter people. Will you stand to your feet and let's read Romans chapter 5 together once again. And imagine Paul is writing this. And you've got to, when you read this book, you've got to ask yourself, why was it so revolutionary? I mean, of all the things that could be said that were put in this book to not just be the inspired book, but to continue to inspire us, why this? When you know that Rome didn't believe in hope, and what Paul's saying, it's powerful. Verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace. We have shalom. It's like heaven invading with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, there's a little death, burial, resurrection. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. And every Roman would be like, yeah, yeah, totally. Sufferings, reason, reality. Because... We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, what I love about this. Is Paul's writing and everyone's going, oh yeah, 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 for sure. Suffering. Suffering's going to produce a sense of perseverance, a sense of endurance. Yes, and endurance is going to bring out the best of us, the best kind of grit. It's actually going to reveal the best in what's true. It's going to showcase our character to the world. I love this because people will say, sports teaches character. Sports doesn't teach character, it exposes character. It reveals character. I, I played college basketball. Um, play is not the right word. Um, I sat at the bench, but I got free shoes. Um, and, and I'll just tell you, every moment that you're in a, a moment of stress, it reveals. It reveals what is firm. It reveals, do you have the outlook and the perspective, even when it doesn't go your way, that God's still in this, that God's still up to something, that you can still stay, I stand on the rock. Or for many of us, do we find ourselves just getting blown away? I love what Bono said at Johnny Cash's eulogy. He said, in a world of tumbleweeds, Johnny was an oak tree. And there's something about when you, in the midst of suffering, have a greater outlook because it gives you a sense of perseverance to keep putting one step in front of the other and it showcases your character. But all of that, to not go the way of Rome or not to go the way of cultural whimsy of uncertainty, But to choose the kind of hope that you actually believe what the scripture says, that that hope will not be put to shame, 
takes a greater resolve. And so here's what I want to do. Because often when I teach in Chicago, I got a guy who sits right here. His name is Lenny D. And, and he'll just scream out in the middle of the service. Make it plain, doc. Make it plain. Make it make sense. Bring it to a point where I can receive this and actually apply it to my life. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself right now, is there one area where you are struggling with hope? It could be physical, it could be relational, it could be emotional, it could be spiritual, it could be financial, it could be in a relationship with a coworker, a spouse, a kid, it could be with an addiction. I want you just to, to think about this. Have this in your brain. And then what I want to do is I want to walk you through biblical hope. Because if you can actually begin to apply this to a certain situation, then when you begin to recognize the little bits of Rome that are within you or the little bits of uncertainty when you use the word hope, you can step back and go, no, 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 no. My understanding of hope is that it won't be put to shame. My understanding of hope is it's going to reveal the best kind of character and perseverance even in the face of suffering in the desert. And so what I want to teach you today is how you can dare to hope. You dare to hope when you desire something good. So you've got that, that situation, that circumstance. You are just struggling with having hope. You're struggling. This is when you actually desire something good. And oftentimes in church, our desires have been shamed. We don't necessarily know what to do with good and healthy desires. But I want you to, I want you to think about it. If it's your marriage or it's a relationship with a, a friend or a kid or a sibling, I want you to desire if heaven were to invade that situation. If Christ were truly at the center of this relationship or this struggle or this addiction, if you could actually not desire that they would actually do what you wanted them to do. It's not that you desire your agenda. You desire Christ at the center of this. Heaven invading this. The kingdom of God being manifested in this. Shalom and peace happening here. And when you can start to begin to see that, desire that, it changes. It changes the outlook. But here's the second you dare to hope when you desire something good, but two, you believe that anything is possible. And I know, I know some of you are like, that just seems so woo-woo, like anything is possible. What do you mean? Let's just think about this. Joby Martin, a pastor in Jacksonville, Florida, wrote a book, and the title of it is Genius. If the tomb is empty, anything is possible. I love what Andy Stanley says about Jesus. If, if you know a guy who walks the earth and he's speaking and telling people that he's going to die and three days later rise again and he pulls it off, you should just go with whatever that guy says. <laughs> and, and like you think about this. We, we are Easter people living in a good Friday world, as Barbara Brown Taylor says. We are the people of the resurrection. We are people where the tomb is empty. And if you take a hundred years, and Jesus is 33, we're right in the middle of this hundred year run, 
I can name off eight to ten different people who said that they were somebody, but when they died, their entire movement and regime came to nothing. Leaders who spoke to power died all the time. The thing that was different was they didn't come back to life and fill their followers with a level of courage to go speak to power and to embody this. See, when we look at a situation and we have biblical hope, we actually understand if the tomb is empty, if Jesus actually can rise from the dead, then this marriage can be restored. This relationship can be reconciled. How divided our world is that in Christ anything is possible because the tomb is empty, then unite and unity is possible. But when you step out and go, no, I don't think it's possible. You're going the way of Rome or you're going the way of cultural whimsy when it comes to hope. But biblical hope is to desire heaven to invade and to look at the situation and go, if you could raise Jesus from the dead, I actually think you can set me free. And I'm not saying that it just happens. I'm not just saying that there's no work that has to be done. Of course there is. But it's the outlook and the perspective. You desire something good. You believe that anything is possible. Because number three, resurrection brings confidence. Resurrection brings certainty. Now, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then you're going to struggle to have hope. But we are people of the resurrection. The reason we gather as a church on Sundays is it's a mini Easter. It's a moment to remember, oh, Christ is alive. Thanks be to God. It's a moment for us every time we walk into this room and we sing or we open up God's word or we see each other. It's a chance to be reminded the confidence and the certainty of what the resurrection means for us and for humanity in our world. I remember a number of years ago, I was leaving Willow, the church I was, I was uh, serving at that, that Sunday morning, and I was walking out, and we had just had this amazing event, and I see a buddy of mine, I haven't seen him for a few weeks, and I had just preached, and I was excited, and I had my head down, and I hear him call out my name, and I'm like, oh, what's up, man? And he, he, I see him put his hand in his pocket, and then he, like, he pulls out a set of keys, and he throws them to me, and I catch him. And I open up my hand and it says Ferrari Spider. So you know what I do? I put my hand in my pocket and I pull out 2004 Honda Civic and I throw it right back. Fair trade. And I look at this thing, I'm like, man, this is insane. I'm like, did you just get this? He's like, yeah, man, take it for the weekend. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't need an Instagram account called Preachers and Ferraris. Like, I, I don't need this, man. And he's like, no, no, man, go pick your son up. Just take it. I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. I'm like, what are you going to take? He's like, I'll take your Civic. And then I'm like, Cheerios all in the back. I'm like, this is not okay. So I get in this bright yellow Ferrari Spider. I sit down and I turn that thing on and it's like, and it, it is low to the ground. You control the whole thing from the steering wheel. It's worth way more than my life. And I, I, I start to drive it, and I'm going literally five miles per hour in the parking lot. And my buddy's behind me in my Civic, and he's calling me. And I'm like, you can't talk on the phone. Especially you can't talk on the phone when you're driving 
a car that's worth more than your life. I'm not picking this up. I'm not falling for this trick. He just keeps calling. Finally, I hit speakerphone. He goes, hey, do you know what you're driving? And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's your Ferrari Spider. He goes, no, 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 no. It's a V12. It's supercharged. Almost 800 horsepower. It goes zero to 60 in just over two seconds. You are driving this car like it's your V4 Honda. Hit the gas, Sally. And you know what I said? Yes, Lord. And I hung up. I turned right and I hit the gas and my intestines left my body. And I, I, I say all this because I returned that car a couple days later. I have this moment where I'm just journaling with the Lord. And, and that line, do you know what you are driving? You are driving this car like it's a V4 Honda Civic. And I realized something. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave is within you and within me. We have this supercharged V12 can raise a man from the grave within us and we're driving it like it's a Honda Civic. Just got to keep it really clean. Got to keep it really nice. Just want to make sure that everything's, everything's all put together. Don't want to go too crazy with my hands because you never know what might happen. Just keep it, my, just keep it here. Like we, we have all of this contained in safe faith. And all of a sudden, I think that ends up getting transferred over to the situations where we look at with an outlook, not with resurrection hope, but with kind of this V4, maybe, Uncertainty. And something changes. Something changes when you actually understand that we as Talmudim, apprentices, disciples of Jesus, we have everything that he had at our disposal. People ask me all the time, Steve, what do I get for following Jesus? You know what you get? Jesus. That's what you get. You get Jesus. You get Jesus with you in any situation, any moment. Father, Spirit, Jesus, with you. So when you have these moments where all of a sudden you want to just back away and not have courage and not have hope and not have faith but have fear, Father, me through this, Lord. Jesus, how would you have responded to your enemies? Allow that resurrection power that's within me to actually begin to be embodied. So when you dare to hope, you are looking at a situation in your life and you are not thinking like the world thinks. You are desiring heaven to invade and you believe firmly because the tomb is empty. Anything is possible because the resurrection brings certainty and confidence. So that means, E, you can expect good to happen. You can expect good to happen. Now let's just be really, really clear. It doesn't mean it always happens on our timetable. And that's why what Paul writes to, the, to these Christians in this Roman church that are dealing with Roman like power, for a lot of the Jews that would be reading this, who would experience Roman occupation and struggle. They understand suffering. They understand the perseverance. They understand the character but he's saying the only way that you can continue to walk in this season is by hope. 
that you can expect good to happen. And here's the truth. One of the greatest gifts you can ever be given is a desert season. Is a season in the wild, in the wilderness. You see it so often in the scriptures. You see it time and time again. Jesus goes and he spends 40 days in the desert. The desert in its original language meant the place where you felt deserted and forsaken and alone. And oftentimes, for many of us, we want it so quick. We want the thing that we hope for to happen right here and right now, but you can't microwave spiritual formation. It takes time. It takes time. I was leading a trip to Israel and Palestine, and we were working on issues dealing with peacemaking. I sat with a rabbi, and I love being around rabbis. I love asking them questions because what they say back is fantastic sermon material. And so I, I look at this rabbi, I'm like, hey man, I feel like in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, in Hebrew scriptures, there's these unique environments, a place like Egypt, which represented slavery and oppression, 400 plus years, their worth, identity, and the bricks that they made. But then there's this season that's in the desert, and it's like they got to pass through that desert to get to the promised land. Three incredible environments. How much of our life is lived in each one of these environments? And the rabbi goes, you Americans are so funny. I said, you rabbis are so funny. Tell me why. He goes, you all think that the majority of your life will be in the promised land. That's just not what we believe the scripture said. I said, tell me more. He says that we teach our people the 10% of their life will be in Egypt. And 10% of their life will be in the promised land. And 80% of their life will be in the waiting, in the desert, in the wilderness, in the stripping down and the revealing and, and being able to walk in trust of the good God Yahweh. And I was like, I don't like that answer. But the more that I've thought of it, the older I've gotten, I've realized for many of us, we have not been trained and shaped and formed to continue to have hope in the desert, to have hope in the difficult seasons, to have hope. And so all of a sudden, we end up finding ourselves asking other existential questions as, well, maybe God's not here, or maybe this, or maybe this, or maybe this, or maybe this. And the truth is, when you've been shaped to walk in the desert, and you can walk through the reality that God hasn't abandoned you, that he's actually with you and for you, then in the midst of the waiting, you won't waste the wait. And that's what many of us do. I think for all of us, we can go, oh, I desire something good. Yeah, I want my marriage to be stronger. I want my relationship with my kids to be stronger. I want this relationship with this sibling or friend to get back to where it was. We can desire heaven to invade. We can actually, in our mind, go, yes, the tomb is empty. And believe it, because resurrection brings confidence. But it's hard for us to surrender over the time and control that we have to continue to hope for in the midst of the desert. 
And that's where many of us just go, ah. And instead of hoping we go the way of Rome, or we go the way of cultural whimsy, or we choose some other escape rather than staying in the desert and continuing to trust that God works all things together for the good. Some of us, we waste the weight. Some of us, we just hate the weight. I don't just waste it. I just hate the weight. And all of a sudden, what comes out of you in the weight, passive aggressiveness, you start escaping, self-sabotage. You can either waste the weight, you can hate the weight, or what the Bible teaches, you can win the weight. And you win the weight to continue to expect, I don't see it, but I believe you're moving. Even when I don't feel it, I believe that you're moving. Even when, even when, I'll still continue to choose hope because I believe that it's going to shape character and perseverance in the midst of my suffering. My friends, this has been a game changer for me. Because the truth is, when have you ever been around someone who had hope? And you were like, knock it off. Can't stand that person. That's way too much hope. Gosh, gosh, that guy, why is he so filled with hope? When you get around someone who has this hope that God is at work, when you, this person has this hope that, that not to give up, when someone has this hope that something can be redeemed and restored, it's contagious. And this brings us right back to the centrality of our faith, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And every day that I make a conscious effort to dare, to desire, good, anything is possible, resurrection brings circumstance, and expect good to happen, every time I choose that, it keeps me more connected to what happened on that first Easter morning and what can continue to happen. Here's my definition of biblical hope. It's a riff off of something Dallas Willard said. Hope is the confident anticipation that good is on its way. It's confident. It's anticipating. It's like standing on your tippy toes going, I don't know how God's going to do it, but God's going to redeem this. I don't know how God is going to do it, but God's going to restore this. I don't know how God's going to do it, but God's going to reveal it and someone's going to have to see themselves in the proper light. And begin to have choices and decisions to make out of it. I don't know how God's going to do it. But I am confidently anticipating it because of the resurrection. That good is on its way for me, for us, for this world. Amen? Back to you. Here's the question. What would it look like this week? For you not just to hold that situation where maybe you've gone the way of Rome or you've gone the way of cultural whimsy and uncertainty when it comes to hope. What would it look like for you to look at that situation right now and actually put this into practice? I'm going to have you stand to your feet. I want to read a passage of scripture over you. And I want just to pray these words one more time. But I'm going to ask that you put your hands out. And I want, you, I want you in one sense to imagine whatever that circumstance or situation that you're struggling with hope is. And I want you to think it. But I want you just to just spend a moment. Because sometimes people ask, why do we gather as a church? We gather to learn the play. It's one of the reasons. So that when we enter into the world, we know how to actually put this into practice. 
I want you just to start to desire whatever that situation is for heaven and Christ to be at the center. Just see it. It's almost like see Jesus or see a moment of God's pleasure, God's desire, God's hope, God's belief. Think about the centrality of your faith being grounded in the resurrection. And because of that going, man, if that's true, then what might you want to do with this, God? And in your own ways, your hands are open. You start to close them like this as a symbol of saying, I 